he and I um, ended up going to a party one night and uh, we were really close. Like we were actually, you know, a good sibling relationship other than that weird shit. We were actually pretty close. And um, we ended up going to this party and some guy I knew, I was, I was 15, 14 or 15, maybe, maybe 16, but not, no, no later than 16 for sure. But he, we were at a party and this guy had cocaine and he was like, gave us some and I'm like I didn't give a fuck about myself I had been doing ecstasy already with my friends um so I was like this is my drug of choice so um he gave me a line of cocaine that night was the first time I had ever been able to talk about my abuse in my life so my brother and I sat there and we just we cried to each other and like hugged and like it just it got me you know it just got me and uh, it hit me hard that night and I'll never forget it. You know, it was the first time I was able to open up and actually talk about what happened to me. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Hey. So you have a podcast, you have a platform, you have social medias, you are out there just doing it. I will tell you right now, I first saw you on TikTok um, you posted a video, you post a lot of videos, but this one in particular was about you being pregnant and you being unsure of the sex and your stepfather asking you if it was going to be a boy or a girl and was hoping it was going to be a girl. Yeah. And that really caught my attention because obviously I went to your page and I saw other videos and I'm like, wow, she so has a story to tell. Yeah. So that is okay. So that is a whole story in itself. So obviously I was sexually abused by my stepfather from ages three to 15. Um, and so, so when, when I posted that video, that video was about the fact that, yeah, he wanted me to have a girl. So I'll never forget. I was driving to the, to the, um, to go to the appointment, to go find out what I was having. I was on my way there and I was with my mom. And my mom enabled my abuse, so she kind of already knew that it was ha- that it had happened. But I'm on my way there, and my stepdad called me, and he's like, "Oh, um, I really hope you're having a girl. I hope it's a girl. I know it's gonna be a girl." And I like, I'm almost shaking saying it because I was like, it just hit me at that moment. He wants to hurt my kids. He wants to sexually abuse my kids, and it just hit me. So I just hoped for a boy because my mindset was so off. Like I was so confused, you know? So I said, okay, well, if I have a boy, he's not going to hurt him. So, you know, I ended up having a boy and living with that lie for the whole entire year, my son, first year of my son's life and letting myself go there because I was lying to myself, telling myself, um, telling myself that, you know, he's not going to hurt him. He's a boy. Because my stepfather was very, very, he hates gay men. He hates gay men. And I have a theory on why. Like, I, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I mean, already know your theory now. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. You hate what you are sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and maybe he is, or I, I don't know. Something tells me maybe he was had a sexual abuse experience from a male, you know? Well, isn't that usually a pattern, though, too, that, you know, people that are sexually abused and never deal with it, then then turn that, you know, kind of oh, pain into. Oh, my God. Yes. Let me get into this. So my family alone. OK, so my, I've got to start like this is like a lot of intense su- subjects for me. It gets like just so much. abuse. Don't worry. Me. My my show is a just full on trigger warning at this point. Everyone knows that if you were listening or watching, the entire show is always going to be a trigger warning, no matter what episode it is, you know. Yep, that's that's the topics. So my mother, okay, my my grandmother told me that she thought my mother was being sexually abused, but she was too scared to tell my grandfather because it would have really hurt my grandfather by her by my by my mom's grandpa. So his my grandpa's dad. So my grandmother told me that, and then there was also a hundred percent fact that my mom, she went to court and everything. She was sexually abused by her uncle, her uncle, her uncle's wife stayed with the uncle who raped my mom. And he also raped his two daughters. So there's, there's that, just that. 
So if my grandfather was sexually assaulting my mother, if my great grandfather was sexually assaulting my mother, who's to say he wasn't sexually assaulting all of his daughters? So all of his daughters repeated the cycle as well, having sex with each other's, um, uh, um, they have, they, um, brother-in-laws, like they all have kids with each other. Like it's, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> it's a lot. So they all, like my one uncle has kids, the pedophile uncle has kids with, um, has kids with all three of my grandpa's sisters. Okay. No joke. So, so then my step, my mother, you know, grows up, she has kids. She has me at 17 years old. Um, and she meets my stepfather. Um, he, now, who like, is, can I ask who your father is then? So my father uh, took off when I was two years old. I never seen him again. Um, yes. He moved away and that was it. Um, okay. I met him in later years and now our relationship's kind of rocky. So it's just, you know. No, I, I was just curious if yeah, like, where you he know, there, there's so many different uncles and grandfathers and just fucking around, you know what I mean? And yeah. who knows who's what. And so that's why I just had my yeah. curiosity. So he moved away. So then my mom met my, well, no, he, he was in the, my life. My mom started cheating on my real dad with my stepdad. And, um, this is all information like family has given me bits and pieces and I've figured it all out. And that's like, I loved doing that. To you were like the, you were like the Charlie Kelly, like meme probably, right? Like papers and like things everywhere, like all over, just like trying <laughs> to connect the dots of like. Yeah, and so I find I've connected quite a few. Like, it's crazy. So where was I? I was, like, talking about... You were talking about how your mom started cheating on your dad with your soon-to-be so stepdad. My mom starts cheating on my dad, or my real your dad. Your dad left when you, were, when you were two. Okay, so this yeah. dude didn't waste any time to start, like, sexually oh. abusing you. He was in my life, though, since five months old. So my mom was started cheating on my dad when I was five months, or, um, when I was five months old. And then my, so then my real dad moved away to Toronto, but he would still come see me all of this, like on and off. Um, but then he stopped completely seeing me at two. Then he started that once my, my, my stepfather gained full control and isolation of me at that moment, because at that moment is when he gained full isolation of me because my mom was okay with the abuse. And I'll explain how that kind of went about too. Um, so yeah, so my mom was okay with the abuse. So he had full isolation and he like, that's when he started. Would your mom would your mom target it because she had a five month old daughter and he knew that way that five month old he could groom into that three year old that he wanted? Yeah, and she was like minded. My mom had been sexually abused all of her childhood. She was beaten for her coping skills. She didn't know anything different. My mom, yeah. So my mom didn't really know anything different. She was very like she was very naive, you know, and she wanted to impress a man. Her mom, her dad was very, very mentally, uh, mentally, uh, very emotionally abusive. And um, let's talk about this was the 80s, right? This is the 80s. It's not like it is today where she can go on TikTok and find people like her and get support. You know, oh. it, and, and if she had you at 17, she's a young woman, 18, 19, coming into her own and very impressionable and never had anybody truly love her. And now this dude is showing her that fake love that she's been looking for. And she falls for it, hook, line, and sinker, because why wouldn't she? Because yeah. she has no other kind of connection. Now she does. So, like, I can totally see at 18, 19 how easy it is for her to be like, oh, he loves me, though. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what she did. Because I'll tell you, my first time he ever sexually assaulted me, I'll never forget how it went down. She, I'll never forget it now. And I, and it took me many years. I had repressed memories like crazy, but I've done a lot of therapy um, on EMDR and I've just like, I've, uh, drugs were repressing so many memories and I've let them all out. And we'll so, even get to them. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the first memory I have was her, her and him, and it was like a game to them. And they kept saying to me, are you going to sleep naked tonight? Are you going to sleep naked tonight? And then mom's going to, my mom would take off her underwear. So then I would take off my underwear. And then my mom would put her underwear back on. So then I would get up and say, oh, I want to sleep like my mommy. And I would put my underwear back on. And then it was just a fucking game to them. And then, and then she laid me in between them and he would touch me. And that was the first memories I have of it. And it was always a fucking game to them. And she, she or, and she was, she was just trying to impress him. She was just trying to impress a man. Like, that's it. She was just trying to impress him. And, I, and I'll never, but she was willing to sacrifice me to impress a man. And that. She that, felt like, well, she felt like she had nowhere else to go anyway. 
and now she does, you know, and that's obviously it's not an easy thing to talk about, but it's an important thing to talk about. And I hate to even say it, but you're not even the first one I've talked to on this show. You know, I've even had a guy on here that his stepdad and his aunt were drugging him and molesting him at five until he was eight, you know, and then he stayed in addiction with meth until he was 50 years old, 45 years because he was just repressing you know, so you are definitely not, and like that's why your podcast is perfect, never alone, because you're not, you're you're not uh, alone, you know. And obviously, you know, Katie was on my show, and we both know how much you and Katie have in common. So, you know, her episode, you know, as of today, it's Thursday, came out two days ago, as when this one's airing. So it's you guys are extremely similar when it comes to ages and situations you're put in that you shouldn't be put in, but you're kind of forced into because of the geographics of the situation. You have nowhere else to go in that moment, you know, and how we grew up in the 80s and 90s was completely different than today. There isn't helplines or there wasn't noticeable helplines. You know what I mean? Like there are. Oh, my gosh. I'll never forget. You just said it when I was you just told like. When I was a little girl, I was flipping. I was so mad at my parents. They wouldn't do something. I was, I was, you know, like I was also a kid, right? So I wanted them to do stuff for me. And I was so pissed at them. I was calling them. I, I called it, this is how much we didn't know in the 80s. I called it the Humane Society. Because I thought that's, I said, I'm calling the Humane Society on you. And my mom was laughing her fucking head off. And she was like, here's the, the phone book. Go find it. And like, like it was just like like that's how much we didn't know you're right like now we have tiktok to scroll through we have we have google we can just google we can just google shit hey how do i get my dad to stop touching me (laughs) you know just google it please the number will pop up i'm sure of it you know it's 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 crazy to think about but you know we all go through what we go through so that we can kind of make sure others don't have to go through it right but the thing with your situation that might be different from others that people don't know that i did find out is that you know, and I totally see how this happens too, is so, you know, you're a young child who doesn't know any better and no one's telling you any different. So obviously you fall in love with the man. Oh, I, I was, he was my boyfriend. Like, he, yeah. uh, um, this is a touchy one because for me, like, I really did. I still love him very much. Like, it's so hard to even explain that because he was the first person I ever loved and he actually treated me with respect. Like, and I know that sounds crazy, but like, there was, in a world where nobody loved you, like, my mom was very mean to me. She built up a lot of jealousy and resentment because of the, um, and in a world where, where nobody cared a, a, a stitch about you, he did, you know, and um, he was very gentle to me. And everyone thinks, oh, sexual abuse is harsh. He was gentle. He was there are and and there are harsh ones and then but there's the ones that like yours that become way more confusing for a young girl who doesn't know any different, especially as you're. And this went on from you said three to fifteen. Mm-hmm. So you're hitting adolescence and you're you're hitting adolescence and when you're discovering boys, you don't need to discover boys. You this person's already treating you like the movies did. Well, and I got to experience. Um, dating teenage boys because I was I was having sex with a um, grown man since I was a little girl that when I got to experience teens I was like I don't want these teenage boys you know like yeah I, they don't they won't know what they're doing <laughs> so I started seeking out old male attention you know because I that's what I knew and I was like I don't want these teen yeah like I like it was I never really got to experience that teenage you know, crush, like my son is experienced right in right now, you know, like he's got a girlfriend and it's like cute. And, I, you know, I was right into a male relationship right out of my abuse, right to a 20 year old man. So I have to now now we're going to get into where my show really is more about is when did you discover drugs and alcohol during this stage during these? So um, I OK, there's a whole other story. <laughs> We have plenty of time. So my brother and I started having sexual interactions when I was 10 years old because I didn't know any different. So I started having sexual interactions with my brother at 10. He was eight, and that continued till I was about 12 or 13, um, maybe even 14. Um, But he and I um, ended up going to a party one night, and uh, we were really close. Like, we were actually 
you know, a good sibling relationship. Other than that weird shit, we are actually pretty close. And um, we ended up going to this party and some guy I knew, I was, I was 15, 14 or 15, maybe, maybe 16, but not, no, no later than 16 for sure. But he, we were at a party and this guy had cocaine and he was like, gave us some. And I'm like, I didn't give a fuck about myself. I had been doing ecstasy already with my friends. Um, so I was like, this is my drug of choice. So, um, he gave me a line of cocaine that night was the first time I had ever been able to talk about my abuse in my life. So my brother and I sat there and we just, we cried to each other and like hugged and like, it just, it got me, you know, it just got me and uh, it hit me hard that night and I'll never forget it. You know, it was the first time I was able to open up and actually talk about what happened to me. You told your brother? I, 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 my brother, I told my brother, I didn't say exactly what happened, but I had said, uh, you know, there's a lot of shit that's gone down in our house and stuff. And, and he kind of agreed with me and my brother knew I had been raped because my brother had walked in on it. So like, we had just kind of, we didn't have to say the words, but he, I just let, like, we had said that. And it, it was just so like, it took so much from me, you know, like to be able to actually share it, like, and with somebody who I thought really cared about me at the time. And I know he did. I know he's just sick. Cause I mean, my brother still lives out there and believes that his stepdad or tells everyone, I can't even say he believes it because he knows it. He knows the truth, but he tells everyone his stepdad is innocent. I mean, his real dad is innocent, but it's, it's. Oh, because that's, that's his dad. Yeah. Because so two when, years younger than you, then that means you would have, Holy shit, when he got your mom pregnant, he was already touching you. He was basically just started touching you at three. Was your mom pregnant when that happened? Uh, she must have been, yeah. She must yeah. have been. Do you think that the pregnancy and her not being able to do anything had anything to do with him looking elsewhere? Or do you think it was inevitable anyway? My mom is very emotionally abusive. And he admitted in court, um, not in court, sorry, in his parole hearing that he felt um, no emotional connection to my mother and started feeling a me. And um, that's very common too, like for, like my mom's very emotionally abusive, you know, and it's not her fault or anything. I'm not blaming her, but I mean, he sought her out for a reason, right? Like, like you know? we said, yeah. Yep. So, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, he, he said he said that in court, you know, and he also explained that um, something else he said in his parole hearing, sorry, was that um, it was like an addiction. Sexual abuse was like an addiction. He said uh, once he started, he couldn't stop. Like He just couldn't stop. And so is he in jail? No, he went to jail for four and a half. Well, he got four and a half years, served three and a half years because we have Canada is so fucking easy on pedophiles. It's a joke. Like it's, that's another thing. Like it's makes it so hard for us to want to come forward as it is. And then they get like nothing, you know? And so it's like, is it even worth it? You know? And it, and it makes it so hard on us. Yeah. Well, okay. So you do cocaine that night, but you had already done ecstasy. I know you're like my age. I know how big ecstasy was in high school, like 15, you know, early 2000s, late nineties. It was the thing to do. And, you know, um, now, but once you did cocaine, that what? One second. Sorry. Yep. No, Sorry. you're fine. I don't know. I don't know. No. Sorry. We can cut that out, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to cut out your phone ringing earlier, too. Okay. Perfect. I don't know where it is, Kayla. Sorry. I'm just doing an interview. Okay. My husband, like, literally just walked in the door from no, going away from work. Okay. So you can start back where you were. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, so you do coke that night. You had already done ecstasy before. You do coke that night, and I think I heard you say that coke is or was your drug of choice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was it about it? Was it the fact that you could finally talk, and it, yeah. and it helped you not to be like? Were you were you like a really quiet girl before then? Not at all. I was very very like this. Like I was very vocal about everything, but I was told that I could never talk about that. I was that was so ingrained in my head that I couldn't talk about it, and you know. My mom, my mom never talked about her abuse. You know, I knew that her aunt um, was still with her abuser, but I didn't, I didn't, um, I, she never talked about it with me ever, it was never talked about. So I just knew I didn't talk about it. It just, I didn't talk about it. Like it was just in, so ingrained in our heads to not talk about it. 
and it really it's it's reminded of you daily you know and 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 how they treat you like i was only getting attention from my stepfather remember i brought that back i mean i brought that up before and he was the only person giving me attention so if the only person was giving me attention now is mad at me i'm not getting attention from anyone as a child you know and he would give me that like yeah he would give you the cold shoulder like you were his girlfriend and make you feel bad about it, make you come back yeah it's so fucked up um now at 15 it stopped did it stop because he finally went to jail because of it or did well, it stop um, because you got too old or did it stop because he found somebody new well like i guess i aged out you know um in a sense like he would have kept having sex with me had i have um had i have said yes but i i i just started pushing away and he got scared of me telling so he just left me alone but uh he but he would like he would bug me sometimes and, and i gave in like i moved out across the street to my aunt's house when i was 15 and um he he um he did ask me to do it once and i did and then i just stayed at my aunt's and wouldn't do it anymore because i was just i couldn't do it anymore i had a boyfriend and i was like doing that with my boyfriend so i didn't want to do it with my stepdad and my boyfriend like it was just weird to me like it just seemed weird I couldn't understand why it seemed weird, but it, it did. And then I know, I know I'm saying that, and I'm saying that so genuinely because it was. It I seemed, know, I know. That's the only reason I'm laughing is just because of the way you said. Like it seemed really weird that I would go from like having sex with my boyfriend and my stepdad. I don't know what it was, but it was super weird and awkward. I don't know why though, JD. I'm telling you. No, like that's how ingrained it is. You know, like. I, well, I mean, like I said, I'm three years old. I hate, I hate to say this, but you didn't stand a chance by the time you were 15 to know what normal was. No, I have no- How would you have known? <laughs> you know, exactly. So, you know, I, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not laughing at you. It's no, more like- I at myself because I'm like, I can't like, I, I laugh at myself, but I'm, I feel sorry for myself sometimes because I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's the way you thought, you know? And I, I know better now, but it's like, I still stay, yeah. you know, and that'll come. Yeah, but you're doing Coke all, you, now you're doing Coke and you're 15. Are you able to get it all the time too? Oh, okay. So I let's was, get into that. I was able to get ecstasy a lot. I was able to get that all the time. Um, then I started, I would just frequent this party, but he had this party all the time. Remember I told you where I got the drugs. So he always had a party. He was a bit older than I, and he was always having parties. So I would Here's just my surprise face about older. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. So he was, he was having parties all the time. So I would just show up to these parties and just try to get the drugs then. Okay. So this was till I was, 19 ish this kept continuing this kind of cycle then i 19 i met my husband and um my husband was selling drugs so it just it was just like yeah you know and he was he grew up in a family um with addiction addiction runs deep in his family you know a lot of people is he selling is he selling pills because mid-2000s when we're 19 it's it's pill city it's oxy city especially you know (laughs) and pills and so he sold his drug of choice and my drug of choice <laughs> you know um so it was just so convenient right um and yeah so when we met in two and and then he kind of he was my my dealer you know like he was the one i don't even like he just brought the drugs home to me all the time you know it was just yeah. the way it was. i'll never forget the first time you know i wanted to get drugs me and my friends were sitting around looking for drugs we were sitting around looking for drugs and she's like my one friend's like, call that guy you're dating. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking call him. Like, if I call him and he doesn't want drugs, we're not going to. And then she, my one friend's like, well, if he doesn't do drugs, she said, then are you even going to stay with him? And I was like, good point. So then I call him up and I'm like, can you get us drugs? He's like, I'll be right there. Like, and I'm got like, him in my pocket. I'm like, on my way. <laughs> because he has my coping skill, you know, and. And that, and that's how that kind of progressed. And then we ended up, you know, using together for many years and, uh, we got sober last year. Really? And there he Congra- is. Congratulations Hello. to both of you. Um, What's your sober date then? Uh, mine's October 31st and Kalen's is like the 23rd of November. So what was going on for you Halloween of last year to where you were like, fuck it, I'm done. Um, you know, my son started like. Uh, getting into shit like he was you know smoking weed he's 14 you know he was 13 at the time and it just kind of hit me that like I'm literally giving him the exact same reality as me you know yeah so you were you were like a drinker at this point when you quit 
No, I was. You're like, still using. I was IV. I was an IV drug user. Um, up until well, you know, there's a lot of things that made me want to quit doing drugs. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of moments that that happened that were huge. You know, I got, I had a, a big surgery, and um, the surgery uh, almost killed me. I had to have blood transfusions, and um, that moment is when I stopped using needles. And then a year later, I quit snorting it. So I would still. What, snort. what was what was it for you? What were you doing? Oh, cocaine. Still coke. Okay, so. Always, right. always coke, always coke, and he was the opiate guy, and he just stuck with the pills. Yeah, and he's well, no, he went to fentanyl. Well, yeah, most most do. That's why I got out. I'm glad I got out when I did. I haven't touched. I I realized would drink it eventually, but I haven't touched a pill since April 2018, and it scares the shit out of me to even think about getting a fake blue and then dying on my relapse. It's so quick. my husband the other day uh, he was picking me up from the airport and like he's like I'm so tired I'm gonna sleep in the car and I got so triggered by him saying that because when he used to go use and do fentanyl in the car I would be so scared that I would find out that he's dead you know yeah. and it, and I'm so grateful that I got out of it too because meth just hit our area oh shit yeah meth never really was around our area like I live out in the middle of like nowhere and like I mean like Anywhere I was around, I've never had, you know, that, but it just hit our area. And I know quite a few people who are being affected by it right now. And uh, I'm, I just keep saying I'm so grateful because that would have been my drug. Like meth and cocaine are so similar, right? And I was, it would have yeah. been my, like, that would have been my next go, right? It definitely would have because it, it would have been cheaper and it would have given you a different kind of high and that different kind of high you would have then chased. And since you wouldn't have physically withdrew from cocaine, and you wouldn't have went into psychosis because the meth would have taken care of that regardless. Yeah, it's a easy, really easy transfer. I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, you, your eyes opened up and you're just like, wait, I can't do this. My kid's getting older and it's not cute anymore. I can't. You know? I'm still, you know, I still know that like it's very possible that my kids could suffer with addiction, but I do know that I have the tools now to help them if they ever do and I, I do understand that you know I put my like my kids have seen some fucking awful days <laughs> and uh but and, and but the- but let's be real though you know we don't suffer from addiction we suffer from not having solutions mm-hmm. you know it's not that we're suffering because you know we're addicted to these drugs or this drink we're suffering because we don't know how to deal with real life problems so we drown it away or we sniff it away or we shoot it away you know, so we think when we're in the moment, like, yeah, like, oh, my God, I am so powerless to this. And this is my problem. And I need to stop. This is my problem. Like, no, your problem isn't drinking or drugs. Your problem is everything else. There's solution to your problems is the drinking a drug. Put that away and find new solutions. When I started, okay, when I started smoking crack, when my addiction hit crack and when it hits crack. Sorry, sorry. When you're like, so when I started smoking crack. <laughs> so open it's fucked up okay i know no i love it go ahead i like i have to be it's accountability so um, when i started smoking crack this was um okay this is how this is how it progressed to that situation it was like so as soon as my mom i came forward when i was 21 and said i was sexually abused okay instantly my mother took his side and she had every one of my siblings call me a liar, a whore who wanted it, all kinds of shit. So I have all this going on. That's when my addiction hit crack. I was just at that point, I was just like, more. I, I, you know? figured, I figured it was either the abuse or you met Rob Ford and then you guys <laughs> took off together, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, Rob Ford. <laughs> How do you smoke crack? Oh, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, um so yeah I seen him when actually I seen him when I was at a court thing and I was like ah there's Ralph Ford I'm so excited because he smokes crack smokes crack (laughs) okay so now you're smoking crack you know just taken after the mayor um and but you came forward when you were 21 is that when he caught charges and had to go away for a little bit yeah so he uh when when I was 21 he um I, I told the police I was sexually abused. Um, he had four other victims also come forward. Um, that was the ticket then. Because your mom's telling all these people. I was wondering. I was about to ask you. Your mom's telling all these people. No, no. She's a liar. She's a slut. Blah, blah, blah. But really, four other girls are like, nah, nah. nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and like, 
he had got my mom's friend pregnant, like all kinds of stuff, you know, like he, this guy was trying to have sex with my grandma. No joke. My mom's mom. He tried to have sex with her. My aunt. How do you you try to, how do you go for like the, the, from three, he, he was, it's a sex addiction. That's a straight up what it is. It doesn't matter. It, It, it's not even about the age at that point. It's about just the act of fulfillment. Yeah. And, you know, because that's all it is at that point, you know. And, yeah, you need therapy, bro. You need to work on that. Because his, like, toy, you know, at, at the end of the day. Liter- literally. I, like, I was really. Uh, yeah, like, you, you, three years old, you can almost wear American Girl dolls. You know what I mean? Like, outfits, because you're still small. You are a fucking toy. Like, that's oh. disgusting. Like, it's absolutely, you know, you know. We know it's gross. We know it's disgusting. But unfortunately, that shit happens, and it's still happening. And that's why, and I'm going to get to this now. When did you decide to be like, I'm going to put this on TikTok? Oh, so I've always been, like, since I came forward when I was 21, I've always been very vocal about my abuse. Um, But, like, I... But you were on drugs, so, like, people were still like, yeah, but she's high, so what are we doing? Exactly, exactly. Like, she doesn't mean shit because she's still high. Like, there's really nothing going on. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Were you able to get sober during the pregnancies? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Okay, good. Yeah, I was grateful to do that because I wasn't, by then I wasn't really, like, I, I hadn't started smoking it at that point. So I wasn't, okay. like, hooked, you know, like, I was hooked, like, I wanted it. And I it sucked that I was pregnant and couldn't use it, but I was okay with not using it. Um, and I was focused on my babies and I was excited about my babies. And then, you know, when I, ah, then when I came forward, um, you know, I, that's when it just hit the fan, like, and I started smoking it like after I had my son. Well, yeah. Then you're coping with it, you know, because you're going through these trials. I'm sure they're not easy to talk on this, on a stand about what happened. I'm sure it's not easy to be in a courtroom and hear other women tell the same story you told about the same guy you told. And you're, it's a very emotional thing. And, and, you know, people like us that we start out using drugs or alcohol at a young age, like I was 11 when I discovered alcohol and it was my coping tool all through my adolescence and teenage years. So we don't learn how to properly deal with things. Right. So when we have to deal with real life shit, when we're in our young twenties, all we know how to do is get fucked up over it. We don't know how to actually process it and, like, talk about it and deal with it. We know we can just say it and word vomit and talk, but we don't know actually how to talk and be self-aware enough to talk about it. It's true. It took um, me so- I was so- asking about your TikTok. That's yeah, where we were. How during it. So I started following people, and I was just seeing them for their stories. So the first person I really got some inspiration was from, do you follow um, Recovery Life Apparel? I might. I follow a lot. Oh, <laughs> Nothing that sticks girls. out. Yeah, two two girls, Lolita and Ashley, and they um share, they just share their addiction struggles. And you know, they were like the first girls that were just like so real that I was like, these girls were sharing like you know their addiction struggles and it just seemed so like vulnerable and good. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. So I got sober. Okay, so I got sober, and it was six months sober I was, and then all of a sudden I was like, I think I'm gonna start. No. I said, I said to myself, I think I'm going to start sharing little pieces of my story on TikTok, but I wasn't really sure how I was going to do it. And I was kind of scared of like the story, you know, and how it was going to affect people. And um, then uh, I seen Katie and Katie had um, shared some raw detail of her abuse. So I was like, fuck this. If she can do it, I can do it. And I just, I wanted to do it, you know? So then I started sharing it. I went like viral the next day. Well, no, the next day I was getting quite a bit of views. I was getting quite a bit of views. And then she duetted me. So I was so excited. 
But then the sort the, the the TikTok, the first TikTok that went viral was when I shared that uh, sometimes our bodies respond through orgasm, and that really like that one just blew up. Like it was, it just went viral because I was like, I think people were just so like, you know, validated, right? Like nobody had ever heard anyone say, and that's what I kept getting that, that exact comment. Oh, I've never heard anyone say that before. Now, can you say Val- it again for, say it again? Cause we both talk fast. Say okay. it again, say so, it again and then explain it, please. You know, um, so, so sometimes, you know, being sexually abused, your body doesn't, it, it responds through orgasm. Like, you know, I was three years old and learned what orgasm was. And everyone will say, I've heard so many times, oh, three-year-olds can't have it. Yes, they can, because I did. <laughs> and another reason is because you can as young as a newborn baby. Your body has those feelings right young. Like, it's 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 nervous. You can't. Nervous, yeah. And I shared that on TikTok shared that you know I my body responded through orgasm and sometimes I would ask my stepdad to come in my room because I was also addicted to that feeling you know so um I shared that on my on my TikTok page and that one just went viral and then I was like I just need to keep sharing and I kept sharing stories and so many of them people related to yeah and I mean because it, it when you got sober it's not like you were like hitting the meetings or anything like that you know it's not like you're a big book person or you go to meetings it's almost like, you know, you're finding your sobriety and your program through being able to just like find a support network that you're growing yourself yeah. with people. I mean, you just had an amazing weekend with a bunch of women who are all very like you I and know. all have very similar backgrounds and you're all from the internet. And then you all said, fuck it, let's meet. Like, yeah. and you came from Canada to go to Ohio. Like, that is so fucking cool. Like, was I, so I was fun. like, the video of you and Katie meeting was one of the most adorable things I saw all weekend, you know, and I, I was, I was like, oh, I, I want to talk to them. I need to talk to them. I, I hope I can talk to them. And then finally, Katie got back to me. I, I'm sure Chrissy probably mentioned, you know, because Chrissy was such a fun guest. Chrissy was on here and she was like, I feel like I blacked out when I talked to you because I don't usually open up to men. But for some reason, I felt like we've known each other for years and I just word vomited to you for an hour. <laughs> I learned a little something from everyone all weekend. It was awesome, you know. It was so it was such an inspirational weekend. It was just great. Yeah, and then you guys got back and then Katie messaged me like, "Hey, I'm ready now. I'm finally ready." And then we did ours and then we and posted then- that little clip and then you messaged like, "All right, now I'm ready." And I'm like, "All right, now I'm getting them. Now we're talking because, <laughs> you know, I see these videos and they grab my attention and they're supposed to. They're supposed to grab my attention, right? And the whole thing is the algorithms are so smart. And because I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, trying to make sure my TikTok feed is all like recovery stuff. And I'm scrolling and then I see sexual abuse and I'm like, why am I seeing that? And then I realized like, oh my God, they're in recovery. And also it's just they go hand in hand. I was just going to say, I talked to many social workers and most- I get a lot of herpes talk too. I'm not, I'm not even herpes positive, but I get herpes positive. (laughs) <laughs> but I am. Um, <laughs> hey, according to the TikToks with a seven out of ten, so I'm not surprised by those numbers, you know. Um, yeah, I gonna say I forget now. Uh, um, we were talking about um how just meeting people and talking and learning from each other and making these videos. Yeah. I mean, your page jumped up and. So you're getting all this out, like outreach and support, right? Like you're getting people saying, "Hey, that's me too," and that's me too. Like, yeah, this is my story. Like, and like, I feel like, yeah, the me, the me too's. Like, it's crazy. I love, I love the validation that I get along with everybody else because I think we all feel validated on my page, you know. And that's what I really like. And we. Now, feel- what, now what was it that got your husband to quit? Then you know, a few weeks after you, a little over three weeks after you, he decided to quit. Um, he, uh, you know, he got in a really bad car accident and, um, at that moment I was letting him drive my car without a license. I, I really was, I was enabling him, you know? And, um, I, I said to him at that moment, I was like, I I just can't enable you anymore. Like, I just can't do it. And, and, uh, he decided that he was going to check himself into a treatment center and get sober because he wanted to get sober for the kids too. And my husband's a fighter too. Like he's always wanted to get sober. We were just playing into each other's addictions. Anything, yep. you know, 
Um, and, you know, he would sell and that would bring us back to Apple. Like every time we would get a little bit of time sober, because sometimes we'd get three months sober and then we'd fall right back down, but we didn't have the tools, you know? Yep. And so he spent like every last penny we had on food and shelter for me and the kids and um, the, and um, treatment for himself. And he checked himself into treatment and it was the best thing, best money we ever spent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, it's a, it's a fear, right? When we're in addiction for as long as we are, you know, because I was 31 when I got sober um, for the first time. And that's 20 years of drinking and 10 years of pills. And when I first got sober, it was a matter of it was my first treatment center, but it worked because I wanted it to. And it worked because, you know, before it wouldn't have side. I was afraid. Yeah. And when, when you don't, and so it's like, you're afraid to live a life without that drug because that's all you know. And let's be real. I know, you know, your first toxic relationship was not the drug, but my first toxic relationship in my life was a drug. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a person. It was roxycodone. That was the first toxic relationship that I had in my life. And I consider it one. And I've even told other people, you know, I do meetings. I run a meeting center where I live um, for mental health. And um, we do AA, NA, all kinds of stuff, trauma, LGBTQ. Um, but we also do like families for addictions. And I had a woman here and she was, she's got to be in her 50s, 60s. And she has a son my age, you, you know, 34 years old. She's like, I don't understand 15 years of shooting dope. And I don't know why he won't stop. And I said, okay, let me think of it this way. Have you ever had a boyfriend that your parents hated? Do you ever have a boyfriend that your parents said is no good for you? And he's going to drag you down and he's abusing you and he's not right for you and he's horrible. And you're like, you don't know. You don't know how he makes me feel. You don't know what we'll be doing. We're alone and what he says to me and how he comforts me. Yes. He's like, yeah. And I was like, because for the first time in, you know, 15 years, she was able to sympathize and understand her son. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a matter of explaining to people that kind of way and showing them, you know, different perspectives on what our drug use was really like and why it's so hard to get out. You know, there's an old timer that comes to my meetings and he's like, I never quit. I haven't done drugs in 30 years, but I don't know how to quit. I just know how to stop starting. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like, (laughs) like, so hard. It's the hardest thing. I And I it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. Addiction was harder than the abuse was harder than the abuse because the abuse I didn't know was hard it was just normal it was life um but the addiction was it was horrible and like I don't wish it on my worst enemy I really don't it's horrible yeah and it, <laughs> it and the, the things the lies that we tell ourselves in addiction to where it's not that bad or this is way worse than it is yeah. you know I was a you know I was never a suicidal person until the last three years of my addiction because it was just, I was so tired, you know, and I hear the cliches all the time, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, but it's a cliche because people say it all the time because the first time you say it, you don't know it's a cliche. The first time I said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Then I found out like, it's a cliche, but you say it for real because you're just so exhausted. Like, that's why I loved rehab because it was 29 days with no cell phones no nothing, just me and my pack of smokes, you know what I mean? And just relax and go to IOP and bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I never went to treatment, but like, I just, I don't know, it clicked for me. It just clicked for me. It was done. Well, it it was a little different when, you know, with Coke too, because you're going to go through psychosis regardless for a little bit. You know, you're going to get psychosis here and there, whether you're in a treatment center or not, and you can kick it cold turkey and not die. Yeah, you know, so yeah. that's the thing. It's the psychosis part that you should be monitored for. So as long as you know that it's coming and you know what it's like, then it's gonna be a lot easier to get through and manage. The 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 psychosis part of the drug, I never really got a lot of, and I think you, that no, I didn't. Everybody, do you think your brain was just so just overloaded with trauma that it couldn't even get the psychosis? I, <laughs> like because I forgot psychosis. Everyone else does, but me. That's why I was like happy I never, that's why I say I'm happy I never found meth because I would have been addicted, like I would have been hooked, hooked, line and sink because it was like that, 
it's that exactly like I don't get that psychosis that everybody that's what makes everybody want to quit is the psychosis not me I was like I don't even get it you know <laughs> yeah it's it's almost a shame when our drugs don't take us to our knees sooner yes. you know what I mean because it's a lie that we tell ourselves for so long that look how good I'm functioning I have a family I have a house I have a car look at me it doesn't matter and I'm talking about my trauma and I'm open but no really you're still just dead on the inside Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just summed it right up. <laughs> now, in the last year, though, how like transformative has it been now that you've gotten like, now let's be real, you get high every day from your dopamine from when you ever post something and you have that much of a following, you're getting those clicks. And then you get the flops, we all get the flops too. But like, that's a high every single day. And that's okay. We're addicts. We're always going to be addicts. It's just a matter of with what? What? I'm I'm learning healthy highs. Do you know what I mean? And social media isn't everything. But I'm learning that, you know, um, I am like, like, it's okay to get a high from posting a video. If it goes viral and I get a high from it, it's not hurting anyone it's it's you know I'm just doing what I like to do and I'm healing every time I share a little piece of my story this abuse story lives in my head it doesn't go away it's not gone when I wake up in the morning it's the first thing I think about because me every morning you know when I get up in the morning that's the first thing that clicks to my brain so I don't get like that this is a release to me every time I I I post a video or a TikTok about my abuse it it's it's off my mind and it's like a journal. So I, I, I consider it like a journal now and I get excited about the highs that come from it because there is, and I'm not going to lie about that. There's great highs that come from it. And um, you know, when I get a 7 million views, I'm like, hell yeah. Like, you know, um, but you I'm know, sitting here like 4,000. Yeah. <laughs> that's a healthy high, right? Like that's a healthy high. And, and I go to the gym and, um, you know, I make dinner and I, I live life and I, I get adventurous you know I do things with my kids and I never could do that stuff high you know and well do you know what the difference is that makes the addiction like out of hand to the point where you need help with it to where like the social media addiction is okay it's not an addiction but like the difference is is when it makes your life unmanageable in my opinion if you're if you're skipping out on appointments if you're not showing up for things you're missing the kids baseball game or whatever or whatever you know whatever if you're not showing up for other things because that's too important to you, that's it's making your life unmanageable, then it's a problem. And that's the thing is, you know, people don't realize that people can do drugs recreationally for a very long time and not be a drug addict because their life isn't unmanageable. Their bills are paid, their house is paid, their wife and their life is happy, the kids are happy. They just have a little habit that they, you know, do every night in the attic in secret. But everything else is taken care of. You know, and it's crazy to think about, but people drink that way. So people actually use drugs that way, too. I have, um, like, there's people in the area that drink like that. I see it all the time. And they always would judge me as the drug addict of the neighborhood, yet they are all drinking. And I'm always like, it's the same thing. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a very, I like, I like N.A. a lot. And in N.A., we say that alcohol is a drug, period. It's part it of is. literature. You know, it, and in my opinion, it's worse than most drugs I've ever taken in my entire life. Um, one, because it's so socially acceptable that it's dangerous. Um, there's no stigma on it when there should be. Yeah. You know, it's so funny to be a walking yep. stigma. And for alcohol, there's no stigma for it. And that's the one there should be a stigma for. You know, like mommy wine culture is so acceptable. 5 p.m. wine time. There's shirts. There's, you know, fucking everything. You're wine so- and you know, it's just so allowed and so high five post on Facebook. We're getting drunk. Yep. I don't, you don't see people post on Facebook. Hey, I just snorted three big lines, motherfucker. Like you don't see that shit. You might get the text from your buddy, but you don't see the post, but you do see the wine glass. You see the wine glasses set up on the counter, you know, with the bottle poured oh. out into two cups. And I read somewhere that alcohol has ruined more families than most drugs. I don't know if that's still. It is. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I exponentially went higher during the pandemic around our area in rural PA. It was selling out liquor stores. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I meant the epidemic. I mean, like with after the oxy use, I don't know if it's like, it's probably. Well, fentanyl killed 78,000 people in America last year. I know that's a, that's a crazy number. Um, but I always, so I used to do stand up comedy, right? 
And um, I always talk about how I had this joke about weed, how weed, because I use cannabis in my recovery. You know, I don't smoke it. Um, I literally went to a rehab in Los Angeles to learn how to change my relationship with it so that I use it as a medicine. And um, now, what's that? Same. Oh, you use cannabis too? Yeah. Okay. So weed to me is always the innocent bystander. So when you watch the show Cops, everyone has seen the show Cops at least one time. When you watch that show, weed was always there. They always talk about weed being there, but it was never, hey, my husband just smoked a blunt. Now he's hitting me. That was never the phone call on cops. It was he's been drinking or he's been doing drugs and now he's hitting me. Then the cops come and they arrest everybody. They go, oh, and he has weed, too. You know, weed was the innocent bystander, just hung out with the wrong people sometimes, (laughs) you know, but it's not the problem. It's not causing families to go down. People aren't getting high and hitting their wives or getting hot, you know, it doesn't happen. It's alcohol. And because it's so acceptable and because it's so like, let's go party. It's a right. It's like a rite of passage. It is. It is. It is. And it's so, it's like you said, so socially acceptable. Right. And like, it's been ruining families for many, many years. You know, my husband has a lot of alcoholism in it, a ton of alcoholism. Well, I mean, it's been going on since at least the 1800s because in the late 1800s is when a very conservative Christian women's group in America are the ones that started the prohibition push that happened in the 1900s here. Prohibition, when when alcohol got outlawed for like eight years in the 1920s, 100 years ago, it was because of a very conservative group, a women's group that were, you know, very religious and they were very against it and they saw the writing on the wall what alcohol was doing. And they were the ones that pushed for that prohibition that happened. And it was all the lushes that got it to come back. Either way, um, I am so glad we got to sit down and talk. And I got to learn a little more. It's not that I had questions. I mean, obviously, who wouldn't have questions for you when you see your post? But it was just that, like, I needed to hear your story of how you got out of what you got out of. So I know it's easy for you to talk about now but I know it's not easy to talk about at the same time if that makes sense like you're used to talking about but at the same time tears are still going to come every single time pretty much there's always a spot that gets me like there's always a spot that gets me um and it just depends on my day like some days I'm missing my mom a lot so a spot about her will get me some days I'm missing my stepfather a lot some days you know some days I don't care Trauma is so weird to, you know what I mean? Like I lost a fiance to to suicide that was bipolar, schizophrenic and an alcoholic. Um, We were childhood best friends and we dated for three years and we were engaged. And, um, you know, I blame myself for a while. And, but now my wife, I can talk about, you know, Colleen all the time. And there are some days where like, I can talk about her and not get choked up. And there's other days where I'm just a mess and I can't do it. And I still can't watch a show Glee, you know what I mean? Because it reminds me too much of her, you know, yeah. and there's little things like that. And but as, as long as we keep trying to talk, as long yeah. as we keep trying to talk and keep making these connections and networking and meeting new people and not feeling never alone, you know, like your podcast is. I'll put all your links in the description. Oh. So if you're not following her already, I'm sure a lot of you that are watching this have found this because she posted it and that's why you're watching it, but it's okay. If you're one of my audience members that, you know, like, who is this? And you're watching this and you want to hear more about her. Her TikTok will be in the description, whether you're listening or watching any of her socials, she'll send them to me. I'll put them in the description. So thank you so much. I'll let you do what you have to do. It was so nice to like sit down and like talk and meet. It was. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too.